Good morning. It is obviously a holiday weekend. All you have to do is kind of look around at the empty spaces, and you know that that's the case. I think that about half of our congregations in Colorado this weekend, and we're glad for those of you who came from other places to be with us to fill in some of those empty spaces. We really appreciate that very much. It is a Memorial Day weekend, and Memorial Day weekend has become a time to to travel and a time to barbecue and all those kind of things, but I want to encourage you tomorrow on Memorial Day to not forget the reason why we do have a Memorial Day, and that's to remember and honor the men and women who died while serving in our military. Please don't forget to do that. Um, Also, I would be a very bad son if I didn't say happy anniversary to my mom and dad. They've been married 62 years. So congratulations on that. Obviously, my mom was a child bride 62 years ago when she married that grizzled old Navy veteran at that time. So, but anyway, congratulations. So we're going to continue with our sermon series from the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We'll be in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans This would be a great time to grab your Bibles and turn there, Romans chapter 12. And as we've moved into the 12th chapter of Romans, we've also moved into a new section of this letter. And in this section, Paul is focused on helping us understand how we should actually live our lives. As we saw, Paul devoted the first part of his letter to theology, explaining who God is and telling us what God has done for us through the gospel. In the first part of the letter, Paul passionately and powerfully showed showed us that we, along with all mankind, were dead in sin. We were lost. We were without hope. But he also told us the good news that God, who is rich in love and mercy, sent his his son, Jesus Christ, on on a rescue mission. A rescue mission to the earth. And there Jesus took our sin on himself and Jesus reconciled us to God. And Jesus redeemed us from our lives of slavery. And as a result of what Jesus did, Paul tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul also tells us that we, the saved, the reconciled, the redeemed, he tells us that we have an obligation Paul tells us that because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that we have an obligation to no longer live according to the sinful nature, but instead live according to the Spirit. And so as we saw last week, as Paul begins chapter 12 and begins this new section of this letter, he reinforces those same themes. Listen once again to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, his perfect will. So what's Paul saying here? 
Well, Paul's saying, since we have been reconciled and since we have been redeemed, we now have an obligation to lead transformed lives. No longer lead conformed lives. Paul's telling us that we have an obligation to lead lives that no longer conform to that sinful nature. No longer conform to the pattern of the sinful world around us. He says, instead, we need to lead lives that are transformed by God to reflect his will and to reflect his nature. You might be able to illustrate it with this picture of a jigsaw puzzle that you see up on the screen. See, before we knew Jesus Christ, before we were in Jesus Christ, we fit perfectly into the pattern of the world. We were just pieces in the world's puzzle. Conformed to the world. We fit right in. But as the redeemed children of God, the puzzle of the world is no longer a place where we should fit. We aren't a part of that puzzle any longer. See, Jesus has taken us out of the puzzle of the world and he's transforming the way we live and transforming the way we think. So instead of pieces of the world, we're now parts of the body. The body of Christ, the church. And today we're going to see that part of our transformation has to do how, of, with how we think about ourselves. About how we're transformed thinking. How we view ourselves. Answer this question for me. How does the world around us encourage us to think about ourselves? How does the world kind of push us to view ourselves? Well, I think in many ways we're encouraged and pushed to make it all about us. That's the message of the world, isn't it? It's all about you. The pattern of the world is about self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. You know, make sure you get yours. Fight your way to the top. Don't let anybody stand in your way. Grab power, grab wealth. Make sure everybody knows just how important you are. The world encourages us to be intoxicated by ourselves. To be drunk on our own importance. And being intoxicated by ourselves and drunk on our own importance, that's conformed living. And there may be no better way, no better way to see, no better evidence of transformed living and renewed thinking than being able to apply sober judgment. Sober judgment to our own importance. No better evidence of transformation and renewal than to be able to think about ourselves rightly. So in our passage today, Paul's going to show us that when it comes to how we think about ourselves, when it comes to how we view ourselves, we should have Goldilocks thinking. You guys know what Goldilocks thinking is, right? You know, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. And Paul's going to tell us that we should be not too high and not too low, but just right. He's going to tell us as sacrificed Christians who are now being transformed into the image of Christ. Paul's going to tell us that we shouldn't think of ourselves too highly. Don't think too highly of yourselves. 
because that's conformed thinking. He's also going to tell us that we shouldn't think too lowly of ourselves because that's enslaved and defeated thinking. Instead, what Paul is going to tell us is that our thinking about ourselves should be just right thinking. It should be transformed thinking. So listen to Paul, Romans 12, verse 3. He says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let me pull up the next picture. I like this picture. I like this picture of a house cat looking in the mirror and instead of seeing an accurate reflection of who he is, he sees a lion. I want to suggest to you that this cat is intoxicated with himself. He's drunk on his own importance. His judgment isn't sober. When he looks in the mirror, he doesn't see the cat of the house. Instead, he sees the king of the jungle. We all know people like that, don't we? People who are just one of us cats, but they're convinced that they're actually the king. We even have a bunch of phrases for people who are like that, don't we? We say he's a legend in his own mind. Or we say she's full of herself. Or when I was a child, my mom used to tell me I was too big for my britches. There was a phase in my life when that was literally true, but she meant it in a different way. Sometimes we say of people, they think that they are God's gift to the world. Paul tells us, That those people fit right into the world around us. They fit the pattern of the world. They're conformed to the world around us. But Paul tells us there's no place for those kinds of people in the church. And why is Paul addressing this problem? Well, Paul's addressing this problem because there had to have been those kinds of people in the church in Rome. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because there are always those kinds of people in the church. How do I know that? Well, I know that because I'm one of those kinds of people. You may be too. See, I struggle with thinking about myself with sober judgment. I have a hard time not seeing a lion when I look in the mirror instead of recognizing that I'm just another cat. And so for people like me and maybe for you too, Paul says we need to get over ourselves. Paul says you're not God's gift to the world and you're not God's gift to the church. Paul tells people like me and 
and maybe people like you too, that we must avoid getting too high on ourselves. And he tells us how we can avoid getting too high on ourselves. He tells us that we can avoid being conformed to the puzzle of the world. He says we can avoid viewing ourselves as God's gift to the church. And he tells us we can do that by instead focusing on the true gift to the church. By focusing on Jesus Christ, by focusing on our Savior and our Redeemer. We can avoid getting too high on ourselves by reminding ourselves that we truly are just one of the cats. By reminding ourselves that we are all sinners. That we're all completely dependent on God's mercy. That we're all completely dependent on the real king whose son is the real gift to the church. There's a second way that we can avoid getting too high on ourselves. And that's by measuring our importance according to a true standard, an accurate standard. See, instead of comparing ourselves to our fellow cats, we should compare ourselves to the actual king. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told about a Pharisee and a tax collector in Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Or to phrase it in another way, to some who thought more highly of themselves than they should, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I can relate to that. When I compare myself to robbers and adulterers, I look pretty good. I can even convince myself that I look like I'm the king of the jungle. When I compare myself to people that I think that I have a right to look down on, it's easy to be like the Pharisee. It's easy to become publicly intoxicated with myself. But when I use a different standard of comparison... I sober right up. See, Jesus continues with the parable in verse 12. He said, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. Instead, he he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, we avoid getting too high on ourselves by using Jesus Christ as the standard by which we judge ourselves. And when we use Jesus as the standard... We realize we don't have the right to look down on anyone. We realize that we're all sinners looking up to Jesus Christ for mercy. We realize that he's the king. 
the king who stands ready to give mercy to sinners like me and you and the robbers and the adulterers and the Pharisees and the tax collectors. He's the king and it's his mercy that's allowed us to be part of his body, the church. And it's our role and our position within that body that provides the final way that we can avoid getting too high on ourselves. See, when we recognize that we're just one part, just one part of the body, and when we acknowledge that we belong to all those other parts of the body, and when we accept that we are dependent on all those other parts of the body, And when we confess that Jesus is the head of that body, we can't get too high on ourselves. See, if I belong to you and if I need you and I'm dependent on you, then I can't look down on you. That's how we get over ourselves. That's how we keep from getting too high. But we also need to avoid getting too low. See, I know Paul was speaking to some people in the church of Rome who also had that problem. The problem of thinking too lowly about themselves. And I know that the church in Rome had that problem because every church has that problem. And Paul isn't saying that we have to get down on ourselves. Now, being a house cat isn't being the king of the jungle, but he's still a cat. He still has purpose. He still has value. Thinking soberly about ourselves doesn't mean that God intended for us to crawl through life like we have no value. See, we can know we have value. And we have value because our king has given us value. In fact, we know we have value because our king has given us great and valuable gifts. We have value because our king values us enough to entrust us with his gifts. God's given us the gift of salvation through the priceless sacrifice of his son. God has given us the gift of his church, the gift of the body of Christ. And God has also given each of us individual gifts for the good of his church. Each one of us has value in the eyes of our king, so we shouldn't get too down on ourselves. We can avoid getting too low by remembering that not only are we sinners, but we are saved sinners, redeemed sinners. We're saved sinners who are loved and valued by the only one whose opinion really matters. We're loved and valued by the king. We're loved and valued children by our father. So even though sometimes we may have a hard time looking up, and even though sometimes we beat our breasts and cry out, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Even though we recognize that we aren't superior to thieves, nor adulterers, nor Pharisees, nor tax collectors. 
But we also know that we who are in Christ are able to rejoice because we have been given God's mercy. And since we've been given God's mercy, we're clothed with Christ. Clothed with Christ even though we are like other men. We're not in a position to look down on anyone. But God's mercy allows us to look up to him. Our father. Our king. And when we look up to him, we don't look up to him alone. We look up to him as part of the body of Christ. As a vital part of the body of Christ. Yes, we avoid getting too high by recognizing that we're just one part of this body. We avoid getting too high by recognizing that we belong to and we're dependent on every other part of this body. We avoid getting too low by recognizing that all of those other parts of the body, they belong to me. And they depend on me. They belong to you. They depend on us. See, each one of us is not only a part of the body, we're a, a vital, a necessary, we're an important part of the body. Without the body, you can't be who God made you to be. So don't get too high on yourself. But without you, the body can't be what God intended for it to be. So don't get too low on yourselves. See, it turns out that in a very real sense, each of us is actually God's gift to the church. Because God has given us gifts to be used for the church. For you students, you'll appreciate that. Think of it this way. We're all in God's gifted program. Finally, I'm in the gifted program. We've all been given distinct gifts. We've all been given abilities by God to use within the body of Christ. To use those gifts for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of its member parts. As Paul reminded us as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our God is transforming us into who we should be. He's equipping us with the gifts we need in order for his good and perfect and pleasing will to be done in the church and through the church. We're part of God's plan. We're part of God's church. We're part of the body of Christ. And we've been given gifts for the benefit of of that body. See those gifts that we've been given. They're not for self service. Those gifts we've been given. Aren't for self promotion. Those gifts aren't for self aggrandizement. No those gifts are given to us. For the good of the body. To which we belong. The church. My gifts are for the good of the church. And your gifts. Are for the good of the church. And for the church to be the body God designed it to be, we all have to be using our gifts, which is a problem. It's a problem because I'm convinced that many, if not most of us, aren't really sure what gifts we've been given. 
And how can we use our gifts if we don't know what our gifts are? How do we discern what gifts God has given us? Well, I want to tell you, it's a process. It doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional. We have to be active in working to discern and discover our gifts. So in the little time we have left, I just want to encourage you, every one of you. If you haven't already started the process, I want to encourage you to start the process of discovering the gifts you've been given by the king. And if you have started that process, I want to encourage you to continue with that process. Continue with the process of discovering the gifts you've been given by the king. You see, those gifts are just right. The gifts you've been given are the perfect gift for you from God. They are just right. They're the perfect gift for your church. So what do we do? Well, first, I want to encourage you to pray. I want you to pray specifically to God so that he'll open your heart and open your mind and open your soul in sober judgment to be able to recognize your true gifts. Next, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. Look inside your heart. What's in your heart? What ministry do you take joy in doing? What ministry do you have a passion for doing? What needs do you see that just burden you, that weigh on you, that call to you? What's in your heart? But I also want you to look inside your head. When you think, when you contemplate, when you look around you, what needs or problems do you most notice? And what need do you see that you know that you could fill? I also want to encourage you to examine your experience. Look at your life. Look at what you've done. Be very honest with yourself. Are you any good at those things that you enjoy doing? Are you any good at them? When you do what you enjoy, do people actually get helped? Do needed things actually get done? What have you done that's turned out well? What have you done that's turned out poorly? What have you learned from your experience? What's in your experience? And then I want to encourage you to engage in other examination. Not the age-old church uh, position where we, you know, like examine everybody else and try to tell them what's going on with them. I want to encourage you to have others examine you. What gifts do others see in you? What abilities do others see in you? And the only way to find out is to ask and to listen. That's going to be our challenge coming up in just a minute. And finally, I just want to encourage you, as you're searching for your gifts, you're trying to discern what gifts God has given you, I want to encourage you to get out of the boat. 
See, we can spend all of our time examining ourselves. We can spend all of our time talking about what we might can do and what we're not capable of doing. But oftentimes, we can only find out what gifts we have when we get out of the boat and we start doing. We get out of the boat and we start making mistakes and we start having triumphs. We learn what our gifts are and we learn what our gifts aren't. So get out of the boat. And when you get out of the boat, be the gift to God's church that he has gifted you to be. You'll be who God intended for you to be, and the church will be what God intended for it to be. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves, Father, I pray that you will humble us. Humble us in the light of your mercy. Humble us in the shadow of the cross. Humble us in the presence of your spirit and your son, Jesus Christ. Humble us because truly, Father, we are sinners in need of your mercy. And Father, for those of us who think too lowly of ourselves, Father, help us to recognize that we are an important and vital part of your body, that you have entrusted us with gifts and responsibilities. So, Father, lift us up to think rightly about ourselves so that we can see that not only do we need the body, but the body needs us. And, Father, help us to search ourselves. Help us to open ourselves to you and to ourselves and to others so that we can discover who you want us to be, the gifts you've given us for the benefit of your church. Father, search us deeply. Father, convict us completely. And Father, help us become the body you want us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So I want to end by giving you our uncomfortable challenge number 22. As I alluded to, this is a heart-to-heart challenge. I want to encourage you this week or in the coming weeks to have at least one heart-to-heart conversation with a trusted brother or sister. And I want you to ask two questions and listen to the answers in that conversation. Number one, ask, what gifts do you see in me? And then second, how do you think I can best use those gifts to build up the body of Christ and to bring glory to God's name? Have that heart-to-heart conversation as we seek to discern our gifts. And as we end, let's stand and let's sing and let's pray the great giver of all good gifts. Let's praise God. Let's stand and sing. Sing,